Welcome to Gospel Truth with Andrew Womack, a teaching ministry that focuses on God's unconditional love and grace. I asked the Lord, why should I go here? Why should I go to Karis Bible College? Why should I travel 5,000 miles? And it was like, being here is the real deal. This is where you're supposed to be. If you want to come here, you're going to learn what the Word says and what the Word means. <laughs> and now, here's Andrew. Welcome to our Monday's broadcast of the Gospel Truth. Today I'm continuing to teach on a better way to pray. I started this teaching last week. I've got this book entitled, A Better Way to Pray. I've also got it in Spanish. And then we have CDs, DVDs, and we also have a study guide on a better way to pray. And I tell you, this is just a powerful way to not only get hold of these truths yourselves, but also to share them with other people. And last week, we started teaching some radical things about prayer. Uh, I'm not going to go back and re-establish um, all of those things, but I could because most people honestly just kind of think that prayer is between them and the Lord and they do it however they want to. Well, my response to that would be is, how's that working for you? You know what? The reason a lot of people don't see the results to their prayers because they just assume that as long as they're talking to God, everything is okay. But I started last week using Matthew chapter 6, and the very first thing that Jesus said when He started talking about prayer, He says, don't be as the hypocrites are. They love to pray. And I spent a lot of time last week just talking about hypocrites love prayer. And hypocrites are not people who are truly in communion with God. Their prayers aren't being answered. It's just religious. Religious people love to pray. And so just praying is not good enough. There is a right and a wrong way to pray, and that's the reason I've entitled this series A Better Way to Pray. Everything that I'm countering and speaking against, I have prayed that way at one time, just kind of following the guidelines that I'd seen in other people and what came naturally. But you know what? I, God loved me and I loved God, but I was ineffective. I'm seeing better results now than I ever have before, and I have learned a better way to pray. So we countered a lot of religious traditions last week. If you missed any of this, I encourage you to please get the materials, or you can go to our website and you can look at last week's programs. And on Friday of last week, I used this verse out of 1 Timothy. Actually, I was the whole context here in chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, is talking about prayer, making prayer, supplication, intercessions, and giving of thanks for all men. But then it comes down to verse 5, and it says, There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Now, this is a radical statement because this is saying that there is only one mediator between God and man the man Christ Jesus. The word mediator is describing a person who stands between two people who are opposed to each other, have a conflict, and you try and reconcile these two. And over in Galatians chapter 3, verse 19, it says that uh, Moses was a mediator, that the law was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator, and it was talking about Moses. So Moses was an, a mediator that stood between God and man, and he did certain things. I'm going to be talking about this this week. But he functioned as a mediator, and so much 
of prayer today is based on the way Abraham prayed, the way that Moses prayed, the way that David prayed, the way that people like this, Elijah, when he just travailed and did things. And people use these scriptural examples as prayer, and much of the prayer in the church today is modeled on these things. And people say, well, what's wrong with that? That's the Bible. The difference is that in the new covenant, there is only one mediator, and that's Jesus Christ. If you try and pray the way that Abraham did, the way that David did, the way that Moses did, which the Bible specifically calls him a mediator, then you are against what Christ has done in the New Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus became the mediator between us and God, and He completely reconciled us unto God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19 says that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. That's the, describing the job of a mediator. And if you try and pray the way that the Old Testament saints prayed, then you are actually against the mediation that Jesus made. In the New Testament, we do not have to plead with God. We don't have to beg God to move, to get God to do something. And there is so much of this that is described in the Old Testament. And it wasn't wrong then because Jesus hadn't come. Man was not reconciled unto God. And there was this adversarial relationship between God and man, and they are needed to be mediators, people that stood between an angry God and the, and the recipients of His anger and pled with Him for mercy. And it wasn't wrong for these Old Testament people to do that. But in the New Testament, if you pray that way, you are anti-Christ. Now, I know that that just nearly knocks somebody over. What do you mean anti-Christ? The word anti means against Christ. You are against the fact that Jesus has now purchased redemption, and we are reconciled unto God, and God is not imputing our sins unto us. These are huge statements that I'm making, and the vast majority of the body of Christ does not understand what I'm saying. And I, I say this because at one time I was right there. I travel and I go into churches all of the time. And I'm telling you, I hear people constantly pleading with God to pour out His Spirit, to please move, to touch this person. And there's a right place to intercede. It even talks about that in the context here in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I exhort therefore... That first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. So we are still to intercede, but there is a New Testament intercession that is based on what Jesus has already done. And you just simply become a channel for releasing God's blessings, speaking forth these things. There's power in words and enforcing what Jesus has already done. But that is big. That is huge difference between New Testament intercession and Old Testament intercession where you are pleading with the Lord to have mercy and acting as if there hasn't been a sacrifice made. In the Old Testament, there wasn't a sacrifice made. Of course, they had animal sacrifices and they went through all of the rituals of the Jewish law, but all of those things it says in Hebrews chapter 9 were shadows of things to come. They were pictures and types, but you could never actually cleanse a person through just a shadow and a type. But when Jesus came, it wasn't just symbolic. It was the real deal. Jesus has reconciled us unto God, and you do not need to pray the way Old Testament people prayed. 
it was appropriate for them. But if you were to take Moses and put him into today after Christ and after what Jesus has done to reconcile us unto God, and if Moses was to pray the same way that he prayed, like in Exodus chapter 32, he would be against Christ. He would be anti-Christ. He would be, in a sense, saying that Jesus didn't do enough and he has to do something. He wouldn't be in faith over what Jesus did. And I'm telling you, that is not the way to get your prayers answered. To approach God as if they, He is still angry at us, as if He is still uh, imputing sin unto us, to beg and to plead the way that Old Testament saints did is a... Uh, actually, it's a slap in the face. It's a dishonoring, a disrespect of what Jesus has done. Boy, the statements I'm making here are huge, but I believe that this is true, and that's why that type of prayer does not get the proper response, because you're approaching God in unbelief. At the very least, you could say it's ignorance. You're ignorant of the fact that Jesus has now reconciled us to God, and God wants to heal you. He wants to bless you. He wants to save people more than you want them saved. You do not have to plead and beg with Him to pour out His Spirit. At the very least, it's ignorance of that, and at the very worst, it's just total disregard for what Jesus did, and you think that He didn't do enough and that you've got to add your intercession to it and make something happen. There is nothing good that comes out of praying the way that Old Testament saints prayed. Now, of course, there's good elements in it. Sometimes they were praising God and doing things, but I'm talking specifically about the type of intercession where you become a mediator between an angry God and a recipient of His wrath, and you're pleading with God not to pour out His wrath. Let me just give you an illustration of this. In the Old Testament, this is Exodus chapter 32. If you have a Bible, of course, you know, it depends on what you're doing, but if, you're, if you have a Bible and get to where you can read this, you might want to look this up because many of you wouldn't believe this is in the Bible. This is probably not uh, some favorite scriptures to many people. But Moses had been up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. He had been in communion with God. He had received the Ten Commandments, and all of these things were happening. And as he was in the glory of God, God spoke to him, and he says, Go down quickly, because the people that you... You know, this is uh, funny to me. In verse 7, this is Exodus 32, 7, it says, The Lord said unto Moses, Go get thee down, for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. You know, when he first spoke to Moses about going into Egypt, he says, you go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. These were his people. But now that they had turned to idolatry and they were just so hard-hearted and rebellious towards God, he says, for your people, which you brought out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. Kind of like a husband and wife, you know, sometimes. And if the kid has done great, oh, that's my son. But if they've done bad, look what your son did. I don't understand this exactly, but it's just interesting to me that he said, for your people which you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed thereunto, and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. This is amazing. These people had seen God's power displayed as nobody on the face of the earth had ever seen at this time. The exodus and the miracles that God performed to get them out of Egypt were absolutely unprecedented. 
It was a powerful display of God's power. And yet here they are just a couple of months out of Egypt and they had passed through the Red Sea. They had seen all of these great things and now they had made a molten calf and said, this is the God that brought us up out of the land of Egypt. Man, how dumb can you get and still breathe? You just wonder how people could do something like this. And it says in verse 9, And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. Remember what I said at the first of this broadcast about a mediator is a person who stands in between two parties that are opposed to each other, that there is animosity and they're trying to reconcile them. And Jesus is in the New Testament. He is the only mediator. Well, in the Old Testament, Jesus had not come yet. God had not been appeased. His wrath had not been satisfied. And God is ticked off. God says, Get out of my way. Leave me alone so that my wrath may wax hot. Now, subtly, if you think about this, this is an amazing thing to think that God could be influenced by a man. But this is what he's saying. He says, Moses, don't plead with me because if you start pleading with me and asking for mercy, this will affect me and it will keep me from doing what I really want to do. What I really want to do is wipe out this entire nation and start over with you, and I'll make a new nation out of you. That's what God wanted to do. And he told Moses, he says, stay out of my way so that I can do this. And I, the only way I can understand this is that, of course, God is almighty. If God wanted to, God could do whatever he wanted to do regardless of people. But this reflects the fact that he is so gracious. He is so kind. He honors us so much. He honored Moses so much that he would respect and he would be influenced by what Moses had to say. That's amazing to me that God Almighty would humble himself, that would have this much compassion towards us. But this is what he was saying to Moses, leave me alone so that my wrath may wax hot and I consume them and make of thee a great nation. And in verse 11, and Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. This is amazing to me. It's amazing that God would even open himself up and honor a person so much that he would respect their opinion and their intercession as we see displayed here. It also is amazing to me that Moses was bold enough that he would come to God and say, God, this is not going to look good on your resume. What's going to happen when all of the people who've heard about you bringing the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, they hear that you killed them all in the wilderness. They're going to think that you had power to bring them out, but you didn't have enough power to bring them in. How is this going to look on you? It's not going to be received well. He's reasoning with God like this. I'm just amazed. I'm amazed. And you know what's amazing? Look at this. In the last part of uh, verse 12, he said, Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. He told God to repent. He was standing there saying, God, you can't do this. What are people going to think? How will this be perceived? You can't do this. Repent. 
Turn from this great evil that you've thought to do to your people. Man, that is amazing that a man who was in standing there and the glory of God, when he came down, his face was shining. He had been in the glory of God. He was seeing the power of God in display. And Moses was bold enough to tell God to repent, tell him to change. He was saying, be reconciled unto these people. Don't impute their sins unto them. That's amazing. And look at verse 14. It says, and the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. It's one thing to tell God to repent, but the fact that God repented, that God was influenced, God changed because of Moses' intercession or mediation for the nation of Israel. And did you know at this time, this was 100% appropriate. I still get great things out of this. You know, as I've kind of mentioned some of these things, it shows me, I still glean from this passage of Scripture how much God loves us, that God Almighty would honor us and actually be influenced by what we have to say or think. That teaches me a great lesson about God. It teaches me how much power and authority God has given us. There is still things that I gain out of this, but... I do not pray this way because if Moses got God to repent and if, God, if Moses got God to be reconciled unto man so that he didn't pour out his wrath, in the New Testament it shows us clearly in 2 Corinthians 5, 19 that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing men's trespasses unto them. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, For he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God. What that is saying is that if Moses could get God to repent and could calm God down and keep him from pouring out his wrath, how much more, I mean millions of times more, did Jesus' atonement satisfy? And God is now reconciled unto man based on these scriptures, and it is wrong to approach God the way that Moses did. At the time, it was appropriate for Moses because Jesus hadn't died. Our sins were being imputed unto us. God was angry. He was judging sin. He was that close to destroying the entire uh, Jewish nation if it hadn't have been for the intercession of Moses. And it was appropriate for Moses, but it's inappropriate for me to pray this way. It's inappropriate for me to approach God as, oh God, don't pour out your wrath on America. Don't destroy America. Don't judge America. Please have mercy. It's inappropriate. You know why? Because Jesus has already done that. Jesus has reconciled us unto God. And God, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, is not imputing our sins unto us. All of this that you hear in the church today about God is angry and if America doesn't repent, God is going to destroy America. And you have people interceding and pleading with God not to pour out His wrath. There was a lot of Christians after September the 11th, you know, the terrorist attacks and multiple things, hurricanes, earthquakes, different things. There's lots of Christians that'll come out and say, this is God's wrath and we need to plead with God. And what they're doing is going back to the Moses style intercession, which was appropriate before Jesus came. But now that Jesus came, it is absolutely inappropriate. It is absolutely anti-Christ. It is against what he has done. God has now reconciled us 
through Jesus to himself, and God is not ticked off. God is not mad. He's not even in a bad mood. God is not going to destroy the United States. I'm not saying that the United States is totally safe because we are in the process of destroying ourselves. And the further we walk away from God and the more we cooperate with the devil, the more we embrace his way of thinking and his way of doing things, the more we are destroying ourselves. Satan comes only to steal, kill, and to destroy. John chapter 10, verse 10. But Jesus came to give us life. Satan is trying to destroy this nation and the godly influence that America has had on the world. And not only this nation, but this program is seen all around the world. There are many of you that there are godly things happening and Satan is trying to destroy these nations and get us to where there is just total chaos. The best thing we could do is to turn back to God and embrace His ways and go back to godly principles. But if we don't, God's not going to judge us. We will destroy ourselves. We will just drop all of our defenses and Satan will come in and destroy us. So yes, I agree that there needs to be a turning to God, but not because God is going to judge us, not because like Moses said, you're going to destroy the people. Turn from your fierce wrath. I'm telling you, Jesus turned God from his fierce wrath. God is not angry. He is not about to judge me or you or your nation. God is not our problem. And for you to pray the way that Moses prayed is antichrist. Jesus is now the only mediator. And for you to stand there as a mediator and say, God, you're ticked off. God, you're about to pour out your wrath. Turn from your fierce wrath. You're missing what Jesus did. You also are missing the fact that the Bible says God is not angry with us. No longer are there two parties that are opposed to each other and we need a mediator stand between us and God. God has now had His wrath satisfied. God so loved the world that He gave His Son and God's love is now poured out and God is operating in grace and mercy towards us. He is not bringing His wrath upon us. And for you to plead with Him as if He is angry, as if Jesus didn't die, as if there isn't a difference between the new covenant and the old covenant, it does not honor God. It does not honor what Jesus did. It is not a New Testament prayer. And I'm telling you, this is where the body of Christ is stuck. There are very, very, very few people who will approach things the way that I'm talking about right here. You know, I am absolutely confident that there's other people who believe and teach this, but I hadn't heard it. I'm going to get further into this and talk about praying for revival. And the vast majority of people are begging God, believing that if we don't have revival, if God doesn't pour out His Spirit, He's going to judge us. And, and the way that revival is talked about today is anti-Christ. It is coming against. It is ignoring or discrediting what Jesus has done and saying, it's not enough. I've also got to do this. We've got to get 100,000 people to pray and to put pressure on God and get God to do something. There's nothing you can do that Jesus hadn't already done. Before you were even formed in your mother's womb, God already had determined a purpose for your life, a God-given purpose. God has a purpose to train you in what you're called to do, and I tell you, Karis Bible College is the place for that. Man, if you want a life change, Come to Karis. Come on to Karis. The next two to three years could be the most powerful time of your life. 
If you sit under the Word for four hours a day, for five days a week, for two or three years, I guarantee you, you are going to have God speak to you and start revealing purpose to you. Every one of you are created for a purpose. Do you know what that purpose is? You know, I've got great news for those of you who've been wanting to partake of Keras, but you just can't move. You can't seem to uh, find how to fit it into your schedule. We now have what we call eCaris on this little iPad, and you get all of the first year courses here. There's 39 courses, eight hours teaching per course. So that I think is 312 hours worth of teaching. It's loaded on here so that you don't have to have an internet connection. It comes with headphones, wireless headphones, and this way you can take advantage of the first year of Keras curriculum, whatever your situation is. And you can interact with our staff. You take tests. They know where you are in this process. It's just a great way to take advantage of it. Check it out, eCaris. We're excited to host the Kingdom Youth Conference here at the Sanctuary in Woodland Park, Colorado. Come and join Todd White, Joseph Z, Ryan Edberg, and Andrew Womack, August 2nd through the 3rd, for this power-packed youth conference. Thank you for joining us on today's broadcast of The Gospel Truth, and a very heartfelt thank you to all who sow into Andrew Womack Ministries. Your generosity supports the sharing of God's unconditional love and grace to His kids all over the globe. Because of you, People are getting free resources and their lives are being changed. You really are making a difference. If you're not already a Grace Partner, we ask you to pray about becoming one today. You know, this teaching on a better way to pray is powerful and it leads right into the believer's authority. So we have put these together in a package and you can get both of these books, which really you need this believer's authority as the next step. And you can get either the uh, CD or DVD on a better way to pray and the same thing with the believer's authority and either CD or DVD. If you'll listen to our announcer, he'll give you all of the information and please call or write today. Andrew's teaching titled, A Better Way to Pray, is available in the Better Way to Pray package, which includes two books, A Better Way to Pray and The Believer's Authority, as well as your choice of either the CD albums or DVD albums from both teachings. This package has a catalog value of $105, but you can get it today for only $75. If you prefer, the Better Way to Pray resources are available individually as either a book, study guide, CD album, or DVD album made from our daily television broadcast. Each of these valuable resources is available for a gift of any amount. Go to awmi.net to see all the ways you can get these products. The individual topic highlighted on today's broadcast is available as an audio CD for a gift of any amount when you write or call. We encourage everyone to give because there's a blessing in giving. But if you're simply unable to afford it, Andrew and his partners will provide today's teaching free of charge. You can become a Grace Partner or order resources through our website at awmi.net. 
While there, you can discover more product details and download additional free resources. Or call our helpline Monday through Friday from 4.30 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. Mountain Time at 719-635-1111. I'd like to invite you to come and join me this summer for our Summer Family Bible Conference. It's July the 1st through the 5th, and we are going to have a lot of different speakers. We have a youth ministry. It will bless you. It will encourage you and entertain you, and it's just going to be a great time for the entire family. Remember, it's July the 1st through the 5th, 2019, at our facilities in Woodland Park, Colorado. 